0: Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk.
1: Welcome back to another Decades of Strength podcast. Katie Crocus is here along with my co-hosts Marcy Nevin and Kim Schlag. Ladies, we're back as a threesome. Finally, it's been like maybe a month. How is everyone? Or no, we talked last week. we we're we're like, back. Finally, week. I'm sorry, we're back. We're back in the group again, ladies. <laughs> okay, so just to back up for listeners, my Zoom wasn't working. Like my daughter's home from school today. I'm like, like literally fumbling into this podcast this morning. So forgive that misstep, but it feels good to be back again with you guys. We're back time.
0: on a routine. Yes. 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 I'll say that. That's what we're Two weeks strong. Two weeks weeks in a row.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Apparently I need more than that to get into the group but uh, yeah and
2: and please for everyone listening who's on a journey of their own two weeks is not long enough to be consistent and make progress (laughs) but um we're coming off a little bit of a layoff which means that you bounce back quicker. Mm. Yes Mm
1: -hmm. indeed. Indeed. How are you guys doing? What's, What's new with you Mars?
2: Oh not a whole lot. I have been in survival mode over here I will be honest like nothing bad actually this has been an incredible month for me in many ways um so I'm feeling really good it's just been a lot of work and I've been having to pick up I don't want to say the slack but just some things that have happened with my work with nutrition dynamic um some of my one of my coworkers is having a very challenging month and so I've had to step up and support her and then my entire team is in florida in like the tampa sarasota area Mm -hmm. so they are literally as we speak bracing for the hurricane and Yeah. yeah i'm just kind of like ramping up to or preparing i guess to have to take over a lot so and then trying to manage my own business and some other things that are going on so It's been a lot, but it's one of those things where I feel very stressed and almost like I've been plugged into an electrical circuit. You know, I'm just like, my body's kind of like buzzing all the time, Uh, but it's one of those stressors that I know is just like trying to show me what I'm made of and that I'm strong and I'm resilient and I can do hard things and get through it. So there's this book called The Upside of Stress because we always talk about how Negative stress is for our health, and yes, that is true. But I think you can sometimes use stressful situations like the one I'm in right now as an opportunity for growth. So that is how I am choosing to perceive it. But unfortunately, nothing exciting to report.
1: That's good message though. We'll take that with us. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Kim? Uh,
0: well, I have something to report, but it's nothing good. I I suddenly have a deep hatred for squirrels. Everyone, I'm really. Gosh, I- really upset my beautiful new car that I just was so excited to get. And it's only two months old. I go to back it out of the driveway the other day and it just died. Like, well, it wasn't dying. It started like shaking violently and then like lights are flashing and it's like, take to dealer engine lost power. And I was like, (laughs) what? You're two months old. And so like, we had to get it towed. So it's good, like when I found out what had happened to it, but it's also bad. So the good news is I because I thought I got a lemon. I was like, oh my gosh, just like the start of like massive car problems. And right now it's all under warranty, so I won't have to pay anything. But Mm. then what, like, you know, in a few years, but what it turns out is squirrels got in my car or squirrel, we don't know yet, and ate through like so many wires, like all these wires, ate them through. And apparently this is really common. I've since never I've yeah, it, I've heard of that before. I've never heard of this before. So which means that because because it was squirrels, they're not paying for that. So I'm paying for the whole thing, right? So like, it's like- Okay, so
1: dollars. do you park your car in a garage? or
0: do. You I leave do. It so our it came in the garage. And this happened to my husband's truck years ago. And we were like, oh, that's just like a one-off thing. That's random. And it's never happened again to any of our vehicles. But since I post about it, I'm telling you, I can't even believe the number of people who tell me, all variety of rodents have gotten into their vehicles somebody said a rabbit which seems weird but like what? yeah uh rats a lot I don't have those somebody's like rats mice squirrels this is apparently really common and one of the people and I don't know if this is true but one of the people said it's because the coating that's on the wires is made out of some kind of soy based product and I was like well that's a problem like why 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 are we having tasty things for, for these um, animals to eat? But I do have a possible solution. One of the ladies who messaged me, her husband is an Audi technician, has come across this problem and said you can go to like Lowe's and Home Depot and buy a peppermint spray and you can spray it all under the hood of your car and where you park and it will keep them away. Okay.
1: okay. Well, you let us know.
0: I'm going to try it. It's better. At first, she said she thought his first choice was a birds of prey urine spray. (laughs) And I asked her some follow-up questions and she went to ask him. He's like, no, don't tell her to use that. He's like, first of all, it really does smell like pee. And I'm like, oh my gosh, don't want my whole car or my garage smelling like pee. So I'm glad we're going with peppermint. So I'll keep you posted. But yeah, squirrels. So sad. But Kim, really quick,
2: I mean, you're obviously devastated by this, understandably so. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of wor- worse things going on in the world. It's just frustrating, you know? It, it, it's frustrating. It's just the hassle of it all, right? Like, you know yeah. that you're going to be able to get your car back. It's not a yeah. lemon. That's great. But yeah, like having to tow the car, having to be without the car, having to spend the money, like yeah. it sucks. Just just
0: own it uh, or yeah, accept it. I However, crushing $1,000 down the toilet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Those damn squirrels. I know. I won't, I won't tell my,
2: uh, I won't tell my sister-in-law that you don't like squirrels because (laughs) she's obsessed with them. She literally, she worked at a, a wildlife museum for years. I don't think she does it anymore. And she fostered baby squirrels. So she would bring them home and keep them in cages and like bottle feed them. Like it was literally like she had a baby. She would get up in the middle of the night,
0: bottle feed the squirrels. (laughs) What. Well, look, wow. I've never had bad feelings about squirrels before. We have tons <laughs> of them here and I've never had a bad thought about them, but now uh-huh. I'm very frustrated with them. Yeah. No, but I'm curious. Out of my so, car. <laughs> were you liking your car up until then? I love my car. Okay, I love it. I love everything about it. It's a Toyota I'm four a runner. Similar. It feels like nice and big and powerful, like a truck. It's super comfy. Like it's nice. I like it. Good. Well, hopefully you get it back soon. I really yeah. would like her back sooner than later. Well,
1: I don't know that I can. I can top that. I don't really have any any good stories. I've been like, do you guys? I've been feeling like I've been kind of going around my house, my world, like a Roomba. Like, do you ever feel like you're just kind of like you're like go a little bit this way, bump, go a little bit that way, bump. Yeah. That's this visual I have in my brain right now of like me operating in the world. Like I just yeah. feel like I'm running into not in, getting very far in every direction, and so. This morning, um, I I just kind of like had a moment with myself and I'm like, we're just going to accept this. We're just going to live this for as long as it takes and kind of like surrender to whatever this uncomfortable feeling is and and hopefully get out on the other side sooner rather than later. So I'm not going to go into all the little silly details because ladies, we have a really big podcast to get to today, actually. Um, We're pretty excited to talk about this. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we had enough time to kind of dig through some materials that we are kind of sourcing from for this podcast a little bit of this information because the topic of today's podcast is reverse dieting. And between the three of us, I think there's plenty of anecdotal experience and evidence. And I think a lot of people have a lot of insight into what reverse dieting is uh, because it's become very popularized in the dieting space, in the fat loss space. And it's been touted as a way to, uh, as an exit strategy for when you hit the bottom of your cut How can you get out, um, regain some um, metabolic health again um, while still staying as lean as possible, keeping your weight as close to to that number that you got to in your fat loss phase as possible, but still restoring all of your metabolic health? So sounds sounds pretty great, right? And and I think we've all seen evidence um, in pictures and from coaches that it works really, really well. But recently, um, there's been a little bit more information released about the scientific literature on reverse dieting. And first and first and foremost, there isn't very much. Um, But that 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 does exist, (laughs) actually is not very supportive and showing that reverse dieting doesn't really do all of the things that it perhaps tells. So with that, let's just start with a little bit of personal experience. Um, In terms of you yourself, someone you've worked with Kim, do you have any personal experience with
0: reverse dieting? Yeah. You know, this is what we're chatting about. I don't, uh, well, me personally, I have never done a reverse with clients, very few people. So I don't, I know a lot of people do reverse as in they get a new client and that's kind of where they start. They're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to reverse you up. Then we're going to stay at maintenance. Then we're going to bring you back down. And this is kind of an approach they take, or when they get to the bottom of their cut, they reverse them back out. I have on occasion, uh, given clients the option, when we finish a cut, I give them two options. Basically, I say we can go to your maintenance calories. Now, none of the women who come to me have any idea what their TDEE is, right? So they don't know like what their total daily
1: energy yeah, expenditure. Yes, yeah,
0: they don't. Nobody who comes to me knows that. Some people know that, but my, the people who come to me do not know that. So it's not like we're very clear when we finish a cut. Now we know where we're going. So I give them two options. One is. I will adjust your calories up fairly quickly, 250 to 500 calories. And that's kind of where we'll start and we'll keep you there. We'll measure waist circumference. We'll have you really track carefully so you know what you're eating and we'll see what happens. When I have a client who I feel might be hesitant about the scale spiking, because if all of a sudden you're eating 500 more calories a day, most of those are—they're not going to be coming from protein, right? Where a lot of them are going to come from carbs. What's going to happen? We're going to see a spike in the scale. And if I feel like somebody's not a great fit for that, I explain to them that could happen. What we could do is move you up slower, and then I do this more of a reverse thing. And usually I do like 100 calories a couple of days a week, and then we'll go the next week 100. And the point has always been to just kind of help mentally ease them back into eating this much food without seeing that big spike in the scale. So not really a true reverse with the idea of, um, that a typical reverse has, but that's the experience I've had with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's great. And that sounds great to me. I mean, sounds like there's certainly no issues there and and you, and, and purposeful and intentional and, um, aware awareness throughout the, the process. And the thing I like Kim about the way you did it is it doesn't sound like you took people through reverse diets that took 12 weeks to get there. It sounds like you did. Yeah. Oh.
0: No, we work. We work on
1: doing it fairly quickly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mars. What about you? What's your experience with reverse dieting?
2: So for clients, my, or my experience is very similar to Kim's. That's pretty much exactly the approach that I use. And over time I have changed my mind because Years ago, I was under the impression from the research that I was following, the coaches that I was learning from who were proponents of reverse dieting and putting out a lot of reverse dieting education and literature. So... Ebooks, things like that, that you should do the slow, methodical approach to avoid that rebound of weight gain, which, let's be honest, is going to be really uncomfortable and discouraging for people, which I understand. You know, you put in all of this work for three, four, five, six months, you know, however long you were in your deficit, and now you see it all undone, like in a matter of weeks. So trying to avoid that, but the more I learned and it really does make sense. If you are using the slow approach, which typically the recommendation was add 10 grams of carbs and two, one or two grams of fat per week, that's going to be like 60
1: calories, right? yeah, Yeah. Very little.
2: Right. And that's going to take a really long time for you to get back to what is now your new predicted maintenance, which will be slightly reduced from what it was when you started the diet because you are now a smaller human and smaller bodies require less energy. So you're not going to be burning as much. So let's say when you started the diet, your maintenance was 2200. And now, after the diet, just because of some metabolic adaptation, which is very normal um, during the dieting phase and that you are smaller, maybe your maintenance is like 2,000, but you ended your cut at 1,500. Well, to get from 1,500 to 2,000 and doing that, a 60 calorie per week um, increase, that's going to take a long time. So essentially what you are doing with the intention of helping your mindset and you know, just like ease into it is you're delaying the amount of time that you are still in a deficit and getting back to your true maintenance, which is where you need to be to restore all of the adaptations that have happened as the result of the diet. So those are gonna be more, I would say biofeedback ones. So if your sleep or your energy, your mood, hunger, cravings, um, recovery, like if all of that has suffered and you're just doing this like slow but steady increase, Well, I mean, maybe you're going to feel a little bit better because you're adding calories in, but technically you are still in a deficit and there are going to be consequences of that. So once I learned of that approach or theory, I was like, oh, that makes sense. So now I use what Kim does, which is the quicker jump up to the predicted maintenance, which, or close to it, I should say. So maybe it's like just a touch under Cause I don't want to overshoot so that gives sure. us a little bit of wiggle room. And then from there we can make the smaller adjustments, which may only take a couple of weeks. And then you are back at your maintenance and feeling good. So mm-hmm. that is my experience, from like a, a client or a coach standpoint. Personally, I have done a few reverse diets and they have never gone well. I always end up gaining a, a good amount of weight and then being really discouraged, feeling like there's something wrong with my body, you know, comparing everybody else is like, I reversed and I lost weight, or I reversed up to 3000 calories. Like that, that has just not been me. And this is something that we can dive into a little bit more later on. Uh, okay. and it is what they talked about on the podcast is there are different types of metabolisms. There are thrifty metabolisms and spendthrift metabolisms. So a thrifty one is someone and I am one of these people, I'm pretty sure who, when you increase calories, like your body doesn't really compensate by ramping up how many calories you burn. And when you lower calories, you adapt that decrease much more quickly. So I am someone who, when I diet, I have to get to a very low number of calories to make progress or to keep making progress. But as soon as I try to reverse out of that, if I try to you know bump up as high as i can the weight comes back on really quick. So my first reverse dieting experience was about oh gosh, seven, 8 years ago. Man, time flies. Uh I was working with this guy Paul Ravella and I think he was friends with Lane Norton so kind of like learning from him because Lane Norton really is the like the king of reverse dieting. He kind of brought it to the masses from what i'm concerned. And I was doing the 10 grams of carbs, one gram of fat per week, and it was going okay at first. And then like, just kind of suddenly my weight really did start to increase where I was no longer comfortable. And I think it's for the reason that I just alluded to. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work for everybody in the way that it is promoted online.
1: Right. Because also online it's it's promoted and some, not everybody may know this, but it's also touted as a way to allow you to take your next diet at higher calories. Right. And mm-hmm. that's been proven in the literature to be false. So if you're someone who's like, oh, I'm going to reverse so I can diet on higher calories next time, that's now a fallacy. Okay. Let's, let's, and, and I can kind of mention real quick that that's mostly because Marcy and Kim, you guys both alluded to this, you, the number of calories required to, to lose fat is based on your body size. So when you are a smaller person, you are burning fewer calories, just because you are a smaller human. The only way for one to truly burn more calories is if you put on an absolutely massive amount of muscle, like not a little bit, a lot. Okay. No, one's going to put on enough muscle to truly make a huge dent in your metabolism um, in one, in one big cycle. Um, and then there's also like, we've done podcasts on how to boost your metabolism. Obviously there's the thermic effect of food. So if you're eating a, you know, a lot of extra protein, if you're moving your body a lot more, there's extra energy expenditure there, but overall the reverse diet is not going to be the tool that allows you to diet on more calories next time around. hmm
2: yeah, and I will say that was my experience as well. Um, so I didn't necessarily do a reverse diet at this time, but when I did gain a bunch of weight um, about five years ago, I just it was a sudden jumping calories. So I went from eating whatever I was to probably oh gosh, I would say four hundred more, and like overnight, and the weight just it came on very fast. And then I I stayed there for a period of time. I would say probably a good year and a half, maybe two years. Um, I brought my calories down a little bit just because I wasn't trying to gain more weight uh, because that weight gain was purposeful. It was intentional. And then once I hit that number, I'm like, okay, I want to pull back a little bit, but I didn't try to go into a deficit. And then about two years later I did And that deficit, it ended up being, I think nine months, which is a long period of time. I had diet breaks throughout the way. And I was trying to get more aggressive with my results, which is why I extended it longer, but interest of full transparency. And I was, I'm a very small person. So like my body weight was uh, already very low, but I think towards the end, I was at 1100 calories Mm -hmm. and 15,000 steps a day, you know, four week, four workouts a week. But again, that's because I have that thrifty metabolism. So my body is going to adapt more quickly and just burn less than someone whose metabolism is, is different. So yeah, I was probably eating, you know, upwards of 2000 calories at one point, and I still had to go that low to get the results that I wanted. Mm
1: -hmm. Kim, do you have something you wanted
0: to add? No, I wanted to hear about your story, Katie. Oh,
1: oh, okay. Well, so I can dive into my story a little bit too. And ladies, I shared a a photograph with you that really illustrates my story. And it's not one that I've shared on social because I feel like it could be triggering to a lot of people. I think even just among the three of us, I, I, I I prefaced it with like, it's, it's a little bit jarring to see, uh, because I'm someone who did do a reverse with a coach and i'm someone who like adherence has never been an issue like you give me something to do i will do it so execution was always perfect and it was probably a six or eight week reverse diet pretty standard i was my my cut calories were probably in the neighborhood of like 1750 or so they weren't super low just for reference i'm five seven um and i bumped up carefully over like six weeks or so uh maybe 400 calories and once i hit what she thought might be my projected TDEE, because to be clear, nobody knows what your TDEE is. Like you can go on these websites, you can get targets and any coach who's, who's helping you through reverse is going to to go to TDEEcalculator.net, put in your info, and that's going to give them a projection. And that's where you have to start. Like that's where we all start when it comes to projecting calories for fat loss or reverse diet. Uh, And so I got up to that projected area. And instead of just starting to kind of live flexibly and go on with my life. I just kept on living in this cut mentality, but at about 21, 22 hundred calories that I was plus or minus a hundred to 200 on, on, like every day or so, but I was still very restrictive in my lifestyle. And I never really pushed the boundary of what maintenance could, should and could look like for somebody. So I, um, Marcy, unlike you, my body, my metabolism did continue to move as I moved. And I also had, with the extra food and the extra energy, I I moved my body more. I continued to build, or I continued to work in the gym really hard. I don't know how much I was building, if any, if I was slightly at or under maintenance, but I continued to lose weight for probably six months after my reverse began. So that was probably a function of me not taking the time to step away, from, like getting through the, the mark reverse, This I stair stepped my way up, but then I never really embraced life outside the diet mentality. So I was sort of just dieting on super high calories. If, mm-hmm. is, is that I don't know if that resonates. Yeah, you were
0: still in a slight deficit is the point mm-hmm. you weren't, you weren't at maintenance yet. Even I told totally you getting close I was to not. it. You weren't I'm there yet. So you were continuing to lose weight.
1: Right. And I was under this impression that because I was told that this was my probable maintenance, I was close to this number. I was like, okay, well, I certainly don't want to go above it. I mean, that's not the goal. Right. And I, the other piece was I was a textbook success story for a reverse diet. Right. Because, you know, you're probably not going to lose weight. You'll, if you're, you know, most people, most of us will gain a couple pounds in a reverse diet. And so for me to go from being pretty lean at the base of a cut to getting even leaner six weeks out to getting even leaner six months out uh, because I never really hit true maintenance Mm -hmm. looked pretty good on paper, but probably began to like tear me up in a lot of ways too. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think it's important for people. People might now be thinking like, wait, well, how will I know if I'm in maintenance then? How will I know? And the way you know is your trend line of your weight is going to even out it's Mm -hmm. not going to continue going down. So Mm -hmm. if your trend over weeks and months is still slightly, even if it's slightly, if it's still going down and down and down, you're still in a deficit. And so though you're gonna have spike days and lower days, the general trend line should be flat when you're in maintenance. That's how it's gonna work.
1: Yeah, and it's important to remember that weight gain is cumulative too. And so over the process of a reverse diet of like six to eight weeks, if you're maybe in like, you're going up a hundred, let's say, you know, Kim gave you an increase of 400 calories. You're not, it's going to take more than six to eight weeks to really gain weight. If you're in an extraordinary surplus. Okay. So that's something else to keep in mind too. Weight gain is really slow, really slow. If you're going to gain weight fast, you've got to be eating like thousands of calories over your maintenance number, not a hundred. And so day in day out, not just day in and day out and day, day in, day in, day out, like, day in and day out. Yes. So I think that's really hard for people to grasp because the number on the scale does go up. Like when I was in this reverse, I did see up, down, up, down, up, down. But then when I panned out, when I zoomed out and looked at the big picture, I could see it. I could see it was actually going down, but day to day, I was someone who was looking at it every day. It was always within a half a pound. Like it was never like way up or way down, but you should expect to gain weight when you are done with a cut of any kind. Um, There's going to be an increase of glycogen back in your muscles again when you add more carbs, Kim, like you mentioned, because if you were dieting in a way that was most productive, you probably had enough protein. So this is the time that you're going to start adding fat and carbs back in. And you will see that number on the scale because of water retention. And that is a good thing. That's what you need. That's what your muscles want in order to gain power again. So I think that's that's an important distinction to make as well. Weight gain is not bad when you're done dieting. It should be expected to a degree, and I think we should all look for like I don't know, Marson Kim, what do you guys think in terms of like a healthy range as you end your cut and get back into the land of maintenance? What is the healthy range you think people could be comfortable in, like within plus or minus how many pounds?
0: Yeah, three to five pounds yeah yeah, I mean, I would even
2: say like one to five pounds, like five pounds being the the upper and um. Yeah. One probably being like the very low end and maybe like in the beginning, but I like that Kim three to five. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think too, like my cycle when I'm at different times of the month, five pounds, it's not at all weird to be up five pounds for me. And again, my my frame and my body, which again, like here, here here's a reason why tracking your weight throughout the month is helpful to sort of take the power away from the scale. And I'm not somebody who tracks my weight anymore, but I really did like knowing when I could expect to see my weight go up and know that I go up on a regular five pounds on a pretty regular basis and it's not something to get panicked about. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I want to go back to what we've been talking about a little bit, which is this predicted maintenance mm-hmm. and how do you know what your maintenance is and all of that and really? I mean, if how to figure it out most accurately is to track your calories very consistently for, at least a week, if not two, And if your weight is staying the same, you know, given those like a little bit of fluctuations here and there, which are normal, then you know your your maintenance, but you can use one of the calculators. I like the TDE.net or Precision Nutrition has a good one just to get what is like the ballpark range for someone of your age, height, weight, activity level. But I gotta be honest, I used that to try to find my predicted maintenance And I was eating pretty much exactly what it said. And I started to gain weight and I am very, very compliant in what I do. Like I might as well live in a vacuum because I was getting the same number of steps every day, same number of workouts, hitting my calories pretty much perfectly, you know, not really going out to eat a lot or anything like that. Uh, And it just didn't really make sense. So I think maybe because of my past dieting history and what I put my body through years ago, I really did just, you know, I I don't want to use the word damage. I feel like that's very powerful. Um, but I think that I just adapted my metabolism in a way that maybe it will not ever recover back to what it used to be or could be. Um, but yeah, like I overshot my maintenance. So take any calculator, if you are going to use one loosely, you know, with a grain of salt and you really have to be your own experiment and make adjustments as necessary. So like track the data, look at the trends and adjust if needed.
1: Yeah, we're both, I mean, we're opposite ends, Marcy, but we, Mm -hmm. our our stories align with that perfectly. I'm just at one end, you're at the other. I should have been much higher. You could have been lower and we wouldn't know those things that we not tracked.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. So if a reverse diet has some of these th- things that may not be great for us um, and and but, and may not be everything that it's cracked up to be anecdotally, because as we all know, you see like all the pretty things on Instagram, um, the alternative that's suggested in this podcast, in this research is a dynamic return to maintenance. And that just means going back up to your project- predicted maintenance relatively quickly as can you tend to do with your clients. Um, and a couple things that that they note in this study is that going back up to maintenance right away, as opposed to stair-stepping up um, with, with a reverse diet, does everything a reverse diet does, but it just does it faster. And there's nothing that a reverse diet will do that you're losing by going straight to maintenance. Katie, talk about some of those things. Okay, so in terms of, um, Weight regain after a diet, as we just sort of talked about, that's gonna happen with both. You are, not, you are not safe, quote unquote, safe from weight regain if you do the reverse diet versus the return to maintenance. It's going to happen regardless because of the couple of things that we talked about. Um, slightly increasing your TDEE a little bit. That again, is going to happen. You're going, it, it's going to go up. It's not going to go up as high as it was before you started dieting, because again, you're a smaller person, but um, eventually reverse dieting will get you there maintenance will get you there right away. Okay. Um, Getting your TDEE beyond a typical level is not going to happen with either. And that's, that is another important distinction because a lot of people think I can push my TDEE up more with a reverse diet with these small, tiny incremental increases. And remember what we talked about with cumulative weight gain before over time, eventually, if you are above your maintenance, you're going to gain weight. It doesn't matter how slow you go. Uh, and as far as symptoms of like relative energy deficiency, eventually with the reverse diet, you'll start to feel better. If you go to maintenance right away, everything is gonna come back online much, much sooner and you're gonna feel much more human again. So side by side, when you look at them, they both do the same thing for the most part, but a uh, maintenance phase and, and a dynamic maintenance phase is gonna get you there much faster. And the potential risk with reverse diet, I think personally, like anecdotally personally, is you're basically just prolonging your deficits. And if you're someone who's super adherent and doesn't have any trouble following every single rule to the letter, uh, it could really be harmful because listen, we don't wanna be in dieting phases any longer than we have to be. And that's basically, that's what a reverse is. Did I miss anything, ladies? No, No, I
2: don't think so. Um, But it it was interesting because they quoted the Minnesota starvation study, which is very popular. I think, you know, the fitness industry talks about it a lot. And they put those guys into like, I think it was four camps or something. Mm -hmm. So one jumped up to maintenance very quickly. You know, the other group did the like very slow titration. And what it showed is even the group that did the very slow increase eventually did like gain all the weight back. It just was... You know, it, it took a little bit less long of time. So to your point, do you want to delay not feeling your best just to mitigate, you know, a little bit of weight gain that eventually is going to come regardless?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people think that it's going much better with the reverse diet because suddenly there's this, We I've changed my protocol a little bit. So there's this, this um, feeling of revitalization that allows for more consistency and adherence. And so that for for what, and and maybe that's just you actually being in your deficit, but able to adhere to the number because it's 150 calories higher. So there's, I mean, there's just so many little like nuanced pieces um, about reverse dieting, but it really is just an extension of your cut. And so if you're someone who is interested in like being optimal and, and doing everything you can for vitality and getting, and getting what you can get out of your, your weight loss, your fat loss period, and getting back into your maintenance period. So you can do things like feel good and live life and gain muscle, like skip the reverse is pretty much what this, the evidence is saying um, from all of these studies. And, and Marcy, you mentioned that, that study, the Minnesota starvation Study, that's really like some of the only information that researchers can use when it comes to these types of things, because we can't Ethically, do studies like this anymore? It just doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of t- and there's a lot of talk about reverse dieting, but there's not a lot of reverse dieting studies out there, and so they keep going back to that and looking at that Minnesota starvation study, and it's not, it wasn't technically a reverse, but what they did was sort of reverse them versus the things we're seeing, you know, here on Instagram, and it's just showing that everything you're seeing on Insta is kind of or probably or who knows really um, in a vacuum and you're not getting long-term information on that particular individual. So that's important. Yeah. to
2: Absolutely. Uh, Katie, I'm curious of your thoughts on this and maybe, you know, Kim too, but what about those individuals who really do come to you eating 1200 calories a day and they have been for years. They're just like, and, and that is essentially their new maintenance. So uh, maybe they're not even, I mean, yeah, maybe they're trying to lose weight. Um, but in that situation, do you think a reverse diet would be applicable? Because if they've been consistently eating 1200, like it's that more, I hate to say it, but kind of like neurotic, obsessive person who perhaps has some food issues and like really needs to heal and recover from that and get up to what a healthy maintenance calories would be for them would you still use the approach of going from like a very low amount where they've been currently for a long time to like a 500 calorie jump, you know, pretty much overnight, or do you think that situation would be more applicable to the slower increase? So their metabolism can kind of catch up. Do you
0: want to go or? Uh, this isn't something that I've had. This is just not an experience I've had. I don't have people come, and I have plenty of people come to me. They tell me they think they're eating 1200 calories and we can see that's not, that's just simply not the case. And um, my job is to help them figure out like, okay, where have those calories been? And we start them in a deficit and then they realize like, oh, wow, this is what I was eating and I didn't even know it. Um, So that is not something that I have experience with.
1: Mm -hmm. I was going to say exactly that first, Kim. I think most people who say they're eating 1200, are not Marcy present company excluded? <laughs> we know there are some people out there that can and do, uh, but general but again, we are talking to the masses here. We're not talking to like the right. elite bodybuilding group here. Like this is this is everyday folks, and most people are not and and cannot do twelve hundred calories sustainably for the amount of time it would take to form a metabolic adaptation at that number. That's mm-hmm. very hard to do. Um, But let's pretend I've
0: lost an incredible amount of weight. And that's the thing. I have people come to me and they say, I've been eating 1200 calories and I'm not losing any weight. And it's been, you know, X number and they still, they have a lot, quite a bit of weight to lose.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: that's when, you know, it's it's a really red flag of, okay, what we're actually looking here is you think you're eating 1200 Mm -hmm. and you're not lying or you're not dumb. It's just, there's a lot of ways that we can get those extra calories in that we're not realizing. And that's the education piece around that really comes in.
1: Yeah. So for me, I I, like my, cause I did have people come, I did coach people through reverses for quite some time. And if anyone's been around long enough, they probably, they either were with me or they remember me doing this. And one of the first things I would always have somebody do is just track for two weeks. I did like every single thing, track, 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 even if you don't think you need to track it, track it. And we would talk through it. And we would start there. And if it did look like some, maybe, and, and usually it wasn't 1200, but let's say it was 1400 or something that was still like a, a tough number to, to um, cut from because you don't want to be, most people just don't want to do that. The first thing I would have people do is um, add more food in the way of things they were missing in their diet. So a lot of times I found people who were eating that low or putting things, it was the, the IIFYM um, model where it was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and get you know a Dunkin' Donuts sandwich and iced coffee for breakfast, and it's like suddenly that's 600 calories, real real fast. And then they skip lunch and they have this like you know chicken and rice dinner or whatever, and they're literally eating nothing, but it adds up to 1400 really fast. So a lot of it for me was about what are like how can we fill if, let's say 1400 is the number, how can we fill that in in a way that's getting you. Um, So you don't have nutrient deficiencies. And so you are feeling more full. And so you are feeling better overall and having more energy instead of just like fasting all day or just like making coffee your breakfast. And so it was, it was a lot less about the calories with someone like that and more about the lifestyle and how they could just start to feel more energized and, and do something that was more sustainable so that yes, we could get higher. And if it came down to it, Marcy, to just specifically answer your question, I'd meet in the middle. I'd say something like, let's add 250 calories every day this week, not zero or not, not, you know, 50, not 500. Let's meet in the middle.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That sounds good. Yeah. Cause it really the most important thing in this whole process is the person feeling their best and making sure that their health is in a good place that their biofeedback is also strong because Mm -hmm. that is where you're going to live your best life and, you know, be energetic, vibrant, be able to perform well in the gym Mm
0: -hmm. and in,
2: in your everyday life, really.
1: Yes. Enjoy life. And I think that's the piece that I forgot about because I got so good at tracking and it was really fun. And it was really easy. I was never one of those people who was like, Oh God, tracking is burning me out like no I I actually really kind of thrived on it mm-hmm. and I had no motivation to stop because like I kept seeing progress and, you know in my eyes it was progress but it wasn't until I looked at that picture like 140 days apart and I was like oh that was that was not the intention but but here we are so right well, get out of hand
2: good good lesson that you had to learn and now you can share your experience right
1: so yeah. all those
2: things sometimes do have a silver lining.
1: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I don't, you know what? I've had people ask me like, if you could do it over again, would you have done everything the same? And it's like, that's a hard question to, I wouldn't quickly answer yes, but I would because a lot of what I went through allowed me to find this other path, find some, I found out, I was so worried about like nutritional deficiencies in my life. I never thought about like emotional deficiencies or Mm -hmm. mental deficiencies. And that has really paved the way for me to start to explore those things in my life. Which has brought an entirely different level of pleasure and enjoyment. And you know, people talk about eating at maintenance to really live life. Like I, I want, I, I got, I, I kind of stepped outside the food piece and it's like living at maintenance, not just eating at maintenance and, mm-hmm. and beyond has been, has just made life so much more robust. And I wouldn't have gotten there had I not sort of really had to figure things out from that place. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well said. Well, ladies, like I said, we'll for sure link the uh, episode so anyone who wants the science can get a little bit deeper into it because it is dry. Like, Kim, you were saying that it's not, you know, this isn't something that's going to, like, entertain you in the car for two hours. Yeah.
2: No. (laughs) Unless you're me and you actually listened to it
1: on a (laughs) two-hour car drive and loved every minute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah well and then there's also um an article too that that will like it, it what i liked about the article is that it gave specific questions and you could just jump right yeah. to that spot in the mm, article that's nice yeah i like yeah. that yeah exactly so that can make if somebody if we touched on something and you're like oh i wish you would have gone a little bit deeper on that you can you know reference the article and uh hopefully we we helped more than we confused people but as always we are available for questions yeah you know, Hit us up in DMs. Um, I know you can ask questions in the Anchor app, uh, but we are we are always happy to hear from you and and get your thoughts and feedback.
0: Absolutely, awesome! All Thanks, right, everyone. Always amazing to be here with you, and we will catch everyone next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.